0: take just a couple of minutes to have a break between all that information and the formal beginning of the retreat. A few minutes of silence So, a warm welcome indeed to all of you. Uh, It's an auspicious August day. We have two full moons in this month, and the first full moon was last night, and we're still enjoying part of it, most of it today. We feel grateful that we all got here safely, including uh, Steve and myself from all the way from Maui, and also uh, I'm Kamala, this is Steve, and Deborah over there is not too f- from not too far away from Washington, d c. Yeah, so we're happy to be here with all of you. And we have also a lot of gratitude for the staff, the volunteers, the cooks, the founding teachers, the uh, guiding teachers, the executive director, all the people in the office. All of those who have helped us to be here today behind the scenes, the registrar, there are many, many people that we can be thankful to, including those of our family who have supported us to be here, our friends, our work colleagues, our school mates, college, university mates. So, because of so many people, we can be here together and take this precious time for some silence, for this relative solitude that helps us to see more deeply into the nature of how things are. We really need all of this support in the busyness of our world today to be quiet. It's such a busy world and we have uh, important things to do in our busy world. But we also have this important thing to do and uh, all of us here want to be of great support to you on your inner journeys, uh, to help you see the inner terrain of your minds and your hearts, to train your minds to open your hearts, and to find a way where you can have a fulfillment much deeper than anything you can find elsewhere in your lives. And in that fulfillment, we may be able to serve our communities and the world around us in an even better way. We can find a way to be more compassionate and wise in ourselves. So this is what we're here, all of us are here to do. Thank you to uh, yourselves, most of all, for taking this precious time I know uh, for for all of us sitting up here, it hasn't been easy to get time away during our lives to um, see what's going on deep in our hearts, deep in our minds, to do this kind of inner journey. And so we all really appreciate what it took for you to get here. And if not for you, we wouldn't be here, because part of our own journey in life is to be of service, uh, to deepen our own practice. We, we take time for ourselves as well, for our own practice, so that we can bring out the best in ourselves and help you as well. So thank you for taking this precious time for yourselves. Before... Um, I introduce ourselves. I just would like to let you know what's going to go on this evening. After these introductions, which we'll all give for ourselves, uh, Steve is going to give the first um, Dhamma talk of this retreat. We're starting out with a Dhamma talk, a serious Dhamma talk this evening, so <laughs> that you can really understand the way to use your time wisely here. Um, This group of teachers doesn't mess around. (laughs) We all want to support you. We know how hard it is to take this time for yourselves. So we all want to support you to the fullest to use your time wisely here. Um, After Steve gives a Dhamma talk, then he'll present to you the possibility of taking the refuges and the precepts, and then we'll call it an evening. So first to introduce myself, my name is Kamala, I'm known as Kamala Masters, and um, also I'm married to Steve. Uh, And I've, um, I've learned a lot from my colleagues, both from Deborah and from Steve, and also from my own teachers, that I want to tell you a little bit, just a little bit about my journey Because I think it can inspire a lot of you, maybe it can, on your own journey. Because when I started, I was just like perhaps many of you. Uh, I was uh, a parent of three children. And when I uh, came to the Dhamma, I was actually a single parent of three children. And it was for that reason that I looked for something in life that could help me to find the way. I met my very first teacher. I was very fortunate to meet one of the great teachers of our time, Anagarika Munindra, who has passed away already. And he really showed me the way in the Dhamma. He showed me the way to practice at home, to see what was going on in my own mind and heart, to find a way to calm and to pacify my heart, to be able to see more clearly in a way that could... um, helped me raise my own children and to find a way in my life that was meaningful, much more meaningful than I could ever imagine. And so all throughout my Dhamma life, until from the day I met him until the day he died, he had been my teacher and a a wonderful teacher indeed. He also directed me to uh, practice with Sayadawji Upandita of Burma also a great teacher, still living in this time. And um, I did a lot of intensive retreat time with him. I ordained two times very shortly as a nun after my children had grown. And uh, I didn't waste any time. You know, I used my time at home to practice, sitting, walking, doing the dishes. And when I could take off to do retreats, that's what I did. And during the time in retreats, I used my time wisely. My teachers always told me that you never know. You may not be able to do another time like this. So really take it seriously. Um, The time again may never come. So uh, I just wanted to give you that inspiration to use this time as best as you can. And when I did that, I really felt that I fulfilled my practice. Even though during the time of practice, there were a lot of ups and downs, I always came away feeling, I did the best I can. And, um, and that's a big thing. That's huge. So during my time of practice with sayadaw Upandita in Burma, I learned a lot about my own mind and my own heart. And I could see the path much more clearly how to get to the end of suffering. And uh, that's what's so important for us, to be able to see the path ourselves. And that's what I wish for all of you. We all wish that for all of you, that you can see the path for yourselves. As our teachers always told us, the teacher shows us the way, but we have to walk it ourselves. So we're... We'll do our best to pass along the, the teachings of uh, the precious Dhamma, of our uh, root teacher, the, the Buddha, and um, wishing you all the very best on your journey. I'd like to hand it over to my colleague, Deborah.
1: Well, I'd like to add my welcome to Kamala's. I've spent a lot of years here sitting retreats like this one with Steve and Kamala. They've been great teachers and mentors to me, um, and I've benefited a lot over the years from their wisdom and from their tremendous kindness and generosity that they bring to sharing what they learned in these teachings with all of us. And uh, now, every once in a while, they invite me along to help out, which is a great joy and a great privilege to join you all for this experience. It's always breathtaking to sit here and look out at you all, you know, to look out at all of these faces, um, tired, yes, but also excited, maybe a little nervous, um, all getting ready to embark on this adventure that we call retreat, this really unusual thing that we do here. I first sat here in this hall um, almost 20 years ago. It's hard to believe now, um, just as you are now. And at that time, I was relatively young had relatively few responsibilities, and hearing these teachings, taking up this practice, uh, was like being set on fire. I just became so fascinated in looking into the workings of my mind, the workings of my heart. Uh, I really wanted to delve deeply into it, and so I did. I came here, I sat retreats, I came for the three-month retreat that they offer every fall here that they've been doing for I don't even know how many decades now. I went to Asia, just as Kamala did, and uh, spent time practicing there, ordained as a nun for a year at one point, as a practicing in seclusion. And I look back at that time now really with um, amazement and with tremendous gratitude that that was possible for me, that the conditions came together to be able to practice that way as deeply as I wanted to. Because at the time I really took it very much for granted, you know, as we often do in our society. You know, I was kind of young and carefree, and I was like, okay, I want to go spend a year in Burma. You know, why not? You know, what's stopping me? <laughs> and, um, but, you know, looking, at, looking back at it from my perspective now, it looks very different. You know, I can appreciate it very differently, um, in large part because my life looks very different. I have two little kids that I'm caring for now. Kamala and I were re- remarking earlier that our trajectories on um, this path as, as women and lay women, being mothers has kind of been the inverse. So she started off uh, on this path in the midst of a lot of family responsibilities and has gradually become less encumbered. <laughs> I started off relatively unencumbered and uh, put off starting a family in order to pursue my career. My career ending up being uh, Buddhist contemplative. <laughs> and um, now later in life, um, am practicing in the midst of quite a lot of responsibilities. So I can appreciate much more the, the real gift, the really amazing blessing of being able to just get here and sit in the seat that you all taken. I live and teach, uh, as Kamala said, in the Washington DC area. I've been teaching there for about a decade. And so I've had a chance to talk to a lot of different people about their practice. And there are quite a few people that I encounter that have the aspiration to sit a retreat like this, to come here and do this kind of thing. Um, But there are many reasons why it's not possible, as I'm sure you all know for a lot of people. Um, Very often there are other beings that depend on us, children or parents or spouses or pets or whoever it might be, people that rely on us and it's not possible to get away. Or maybe there are uh, work or professional obligations we can't get away from, big projects. Maybe there are more internal, personal challenges that we're dealing with, uh, physical or emotional challenges. And we just don't have the the inner resources to uh, come and meet the challenge of a retreat like this. Or maybe they're just uh, challenges that we put up for ourselves the fears, the worries, the hesitation. You know, can I really do it? You know, can I make it through? And so we make our own barriers for coming and doing something like this. So there's many, many different kinds of conditions that can keep it from being possible to actually just get here. On the other hand, I also meet plenty of people, and I'm sure you've met some of them as well, who just really aren't interested in doing this. (laughs) Maybe even can't imagine why anyone would wanna do this. (laughs) Or maybe they have some interest, but it's just just not enough interest to actually mobilize them to do everything that it takes to get here, because we all know what an effort it takes to get here, even if we're tremendously motivated. So just from speaking with other people, from seeing the conditions change in my life, I've really come to appreciate how precious it is to be here and to have the opportunity to do this, for everything to come together, for there to be both the interest and the supportive conditions for it. It's a really rare thing, a real gift. And it's also a great gift for me to be able here to be here and do this. I'm not actually able to come and sit a retreat as you all are right now, or else I'd probably be out there with you. But I can be up here and uh, share in your journey this way. So I'm very glad to be here.
2: Well, hearing the initiating stories of Kamala and Deborah for getting into the Dharma, I better share mine, too, <laughs> um, I had a little different experience. Um, I was living in a commune, not interested in meditation, spirituality, didn't know anything about Buddhism, and never met anyone who'd ever meditated. But Someone in the commune was going on what I thought they said was a two-week land-based resort, something like a cruise. And so I said, well, I, I, I could use that. And I came to what was then the first three-month retreat um, <laughs> back in 1975. and. Um, that was my introduction to the Dharma. And I sat way up back, it wasn't here, it was at another facility. He sat way up back, leaned against the piano in utter excruciating mental, physical, emotional agony for two weeks. And um, something happened. Now I'm here inviting you to do the same. And uh, there's a real journey that has taken place over these 35, 37 years. And Uh, it is so nice to see that you're on the journey too. And as it has not been easy for any of us, we know that it's challenging for all of you, in your own ways, challenging, it's difficult. But when we ask ourselves, what is it that we're really doing here? What is it we hope to do? What is it we think we're supposed to do? What do we imagine the benefit of doing this is? We may have a lot of answers. We may have no answers. We may have total confusion. But there is a simple way to understand. And tonight I want to speak about the job we have as a yogi. When you come on a retreat like this, it's a being—it's as if you're being a spiritual yogi, someone who has taken on the job of developing their heart, developing their mind. And we live in a time when there is just a tremendous profusion and availability of teachings in every spiritual tradition that exists on the face of the earth. And while that is a great benefit and a great boon to us, it also is quite overwhelming. (laughs) Where do you start? Who's right? What should I do? Which one is for me? And how do I know? And so it's not only a great benefit, it's also a great responsibility to try to sift through all of the teachings, teachers, traditions, techniques, sects of one sort or another, to see what really uh, touches your heart in a beneficial way, and then to have the courage to follow that path, to to develop your own heart and mind. One way to understand this practice, these Dharma practices that we'll be offering you uh, during this retreat, And we could understand that this is the benefit of of reading any dharma book or any spiritual book. It is to awaken those skillful, wholesome, beautiful qualities of the heart, which we all have within us already. Qualities like kindness, generosity, integrity, Confidence, a sense of ease in our life, a sense of being able to be compassionate and help, understanding things as they really are rather than in a confused way. And these are all qualities. They're they're not particularly esoteric, they're not particularly Buddhist, they're not particularly spiritual. They're just the qualities that we recognize in any human being as good qualities to have. And we have them in some form within us, in their potential or maybe well, some of them well-developed. But we also know that there's room for improvement. We know there are times when each one of us get angry, get anxious, fearful, depressed, despairing, lonely, frustrated, disappointed. And we know that these qualities of heart and mind also arise in the mind periodically. And when they do, we suffer. All of our dharma efforts, whether you read a book, listen to a talk, come to a retreat, undertake a daily practice, even just to discuss the dharma with a friend, is in some very direct way to point towards the development of these wholesome, skillful qualities in the mind or the heart. We will use the mind and heart synonymously in this retreat. And to minimize the arising of the unskillful, the unwholesome, the painful states of mind that cause us to suffer. We're not saying that one is right and one is wrong this is good, this is bad. But we're saying that due to causes and conditions, unskillful, unwholesome, unpleasant, suffering causing states of mind arise. If we can understand how that happens, we can be free of it. So what we're doing is really looking to understand, how is it for me here? How is it in the mind? How is it in my life? How do I get caught in these suffering states of mind? How is it that at other times we're we're moving through life with confidence and ease and a clarity that is just phenomenal? But we can't hold on to that. The basis for... Establishing our life in skillful states of mind is understanding. It's how we understand ourselves, each other, the nature of practice, why to practice, how to practice. And to the extent that we understand these and apply our tremendous energy that we all have, and to apply that energy in a skillful, beneficial way, we'll see for ourselves that what understandings bring us to a state of or a way of being that has less suffering. And we'll understand what way of being brings us to a state of more suffering. And then it's up to us. It's our choice. And we each have a choice. Day by day, moment by moment, we have a choice to choose skillful, wholesome over the habitual, reactive, unskillful, unwholesome. What we hope to do during this retreat is to, is to point the way, to offer some skillful understandings, to point out the unskillful ways of reacting, responding to try to help you understand for yourself, through your own direct and immediate experience, how to disentangle your heart and mind from suffering. And we wouldn't be here if we didn't think and know for ourselves that it is possible. So no matter what state of mind or what condition your heart is in, or has been in, we've been there. We've seen that. We've lived with that. We've worked with that. We may still have that <laughs> occasionally. But we're not suffering as much with it. That's the benefit. Let's not let's not aspire beyond our reach, you know, and just to be frustrated and disappointed with our efforts here. But let's understand that even in A nine-day retreat like this, you can acquire a tremendous amount of knowledge of your own experience that you have to take with you. And when you leave this retreat, you can't take us. (laughs) You can't kind of have the recordings in your iPad all the time. Uh, You're not going to have the time to listen to them. Uh, You can't take the schedule. You can't take the food. You can't take the quiet. You can't take the stillness. All you can take is your understanding. So what we're going to be pointing to during this retreat is how are you understanding your experience? What's happening? How are you relating to it? The job of the yogi, there are three jobs for a yogi. And the first is to Uh, here and to try to see your experience through what we call the lens of right view. We want to understand things as they are. We want to hear how they are. Because so much of our suffering in life is because we do not understand things correctly. We attribute significance and meaning and value to things that they don't have. Or we assume that we're to blame. For what we experience, or we assume that others are to blame for what we experience, and these ways of wrong wrongly understanding experience cause us to get really entangled in beliefs that cause suffering. So the first task, first job of a yogi, really is to understand what is the right view. Of our experience here now let me just point out that the buddha gave a discourse and he pointed it's called the short discourse he pointed to the fact that in all of our life there is only six things that ever happen we hear we see we smell we taste feel touch, touching sensations. And we have some cognitive uh, activity of the mind, thinking. That's it. All we have to do is recognize those six things happening. And that's the challenge. Because that's all that we've been experiencing. Each one of us has been experiencing from the time we're born. It's just these six things. And because of wrong understanding, these six things have woven a web of me, mine, who I am, who I'm not, why I suffer, what's right, what's wrong, who you are, what's good for me, what's bad for you, out of these six things. And if you look at your life and you tune into the stories in your heart, the stories in your mind, You'll see that all of our suffering is in the stories of our mind. How we weave these six experiences into the story of my life. We hear something and it's all about me and you and the drama and the fear and the anxiety and the jealousy and the envy and the fear, whatever. And we have a story, forgetting that all we did was hear something or see something or smell something. And so even though we are all hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, feeling, thinking all the time, some of us use those experiences to develop and cultivate wisdom and understanding and freedom through Dharma practice. And many of us, for much of the time, use those same seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling, to develop a life of suffering. Same experience, treated differently, leads to two polar opposite experiences. What we're going to try to do in this retreat is to show you, lead you, encourage you to use whatever experience arises in your body, in your mind, in your environment, Whatever it is, how to use that to develop wholesome, skillful, wise understanding, rather than to react to them out of habitual uh, conditioning from our parents, our society, our former experiences that cause us suffering. Practice isn't about creating a different life for yourself. You know, we're all going to go back to the same home, to the same job, to the same car, the same domestic relationships that we had before the retreat, at the end of the retreat. But how we understand all of that makes all the difference in the world, whether we're caught and entangled in suffering, or we can be wise and skillful and compassionate and understanding in our heart. We can't control all the conditions of our life. We do what we can, of course. But so much of what we have to experience in life is out of our control. We can't make it happen. We can't make people do what we want them to do. We can't make the weather be what we want it to be. We can't. And so the challenge for each one of us is to learn how to relate to the conditions of our life in a skillful, beneficial, wise, non suffering way. So meditation practice is not about trying to create some special experience, some spiritual experience, some enlightened experience, some whatever. It's about learning how to have a relationship with what's happening that does not cause suffering. For this, we need information. We need to know how to meditate, why to meditate, how to meditate correctly. But not only do we need to hear these instructions, or hear this information, or take in what you've read from books or heard from talks, but we need to think about it carefully. We need to really consider, is what we're reading, is what we're hearing, is what we're thinking skillful? Is it leading onwards? Is it leading to understanding? Is it just more confusing? Does it sound right? Is this just a bunch of BS? Am I being taken on a spiritual trip? Or is this really useful? Is this practical? Is this grounded? There's a lot out there. You've all done a survey. You've all you know, nibbled at the smuggish board of spiritual delights. There's a lot of bad food out there. <laughs> you, know, you can get a lot of indigestion nibbling at that table, and not much nourishment. So what we want to do is really look at what we've heard, what we think, what we've been told, what we've practiced. Does this lead to real spiritual nourishment or not? There's an interesting question that was asked by some monks at the time of the Buddha of Sariputta, who was the Buddha's right-hand man, so to speak. Second, only to the Buddha in the development of wisdom. And these monks were having a, a, a discussion on right view. What is right view? How, how should we understand our experience? How should we understand practice? And so they went to Sariputta, and they said, uh, how do we get it? How do we get the right view? How do we know what's the right view? Or what, what's, what's right view? What, is the, what are the elements of right view? And the Buddha said, there are two things that you need to do to establish right view, skillful view. This is the view that leads to the end of suffering in your heart. He said, there are two things you need to do. First, and this is a little bit of a counterintuitive statement. so. Don't jump to any conclusions. First, he said, you have to hear what the right view is from somebody else. You have to hear it from somebody else. And the second is that you then have to pay wise and careful attention to your own experience. With the first statement, Sariputta said, Without hearing the teachings, the correct teachings, you cannot figure it out for yourself. Listen, I've grown up in the West, just like all of you, and I I can be pretty arrogant and cocky and self-confident, and I know the way, and I got it. You know, I don't have to hear it from you. you know, that is going to cause us a lot of suffering. So we need to hear it. We'll be offering you, hopefully, all that we understand to be right view, right view of practice, right view of the Dharma, right view of our experience, right view of what liberation is, freedom from suffering. So what's the right view of Dharma practice, anyway? We're here to develop the wholesome, skillful qualities of the mind and to minimize the unwholesome, unskillful qualities of the mind. Keep it simple. That's it second right view to to understand about your being here, it really does matter what we do with our life. It really does matter. The way we spend our time, what we do with our heart and what we do with our mind, makes all the difference in the world. There's no free ride. It doesn't happen automatically. Uh, you can't be given it as a gift. You know, no teacher can bestow it on you. It's what you do with your own mind. And it really makes a difference. It makes all the difference. Any difference that's going to be made is going to be done with your own mind. Third understanding about practice that is helpful, skillful is the field of our practice The area in which we do all of our development of heart and mind is within our own body and within our own mind. It's not out there. It's right here. It's what we experience, it's what we think, it's what we feel, and how we relate to it in the body and in the mind. Yes, there's a lot of things that we can do out there. We can see suffering out there anywhere you want to look. And we can feel compassion, and we can feel motivated to jump in and address the causes of that suffering in many different ways, but your happiness is dependent on what you do with your own body and your own mind. Your liberation starts and ends here. And maybe the fourth understanding or right view that's important to here is that meditation and liberation is the work of the mind. It's the mind doing its work. It's not your posture. It's not your diet. It's not your relationships. It's your mind and your mind's relationship to all those and other things. And so the work that we'll be doing is working with our minds really trying to understand our minds, see our minds. What is our mind doing working in this way? A fifth right view of practice to keep in mind is that everything that you experience arises due to causes and conditions. There's no mistakes. There's no accidents. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing that's unnatural. Everything is a naturally occurring result of causes and effects. That means whatever you experience is okay. It's natural. There is nothing that you can experience that is unnatural. No matter what you think or what you feel in the body, in the heart, in the mind, it is due to Causes and conditions. It's not your fault. You don't have to blame yourself. You don't have to kind of berate yourself. You don't have to blame your parents. You don't have to blame your diet. You, don't have to it. you just have to learn how to recognize it and deal with it. Everything is okay. In the sense of we don't have to fix anything out there. We have to look at what's in here, in the heart, in our mind and come to understand how we, what we believe about it, what's right about that, what's wrong about that, what leads to suffering, what leads to confusion. This unfolding of our life is a natural process. Part of our effort is to learn to accept that, just to acknowledge this is the way it is. This is the way it is. The body is aching. This is the way it is. The mind is restless. This is the way it is. You know, the mind is frustrated. This is the way it is. I don't like it. Well, this is the way it is. You know, I love it. Well, this is the way it is. For now. And it shouldn't be any other way at that time. It is just the way it is. This is the Dharma. The Dharma is the way it is. The truth. The truth of this moment, the truth in the The big T, truth, or the truth of this moment, this is the Dharma. What we are doing is studying nature. We're studying the nature of being a human being, the nature of having a human body, the nature of having a mind, how they are in the world. So this is the first yogi job, to begin to understand how natural it is the unfolding of this body and this mind. The second yogi job is to be mindful. I know that sounds trite, simplistic. Uh, So what? But let me just point out, now um, you've been sitting here for an hour. You've been listening to Bryony for a while. You've been listening to me for a while, Kamala for a while, Deborah for a while. Are you aware of hearing? Have you been aware of hearing for the past hour? You've been, you've been hearing. I'm not going to argue that. You have been hearing. Have you been aware of hearing? When did you become aware of hearing? When I asked you? <laughs> now you realize, oh yeah, I've been hearing. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it is. You've also had your eyes open for an hour. Have you been aware of seeing? Seeing's been happening. We know that, but have you been aware of seeing? When did you become aware of seeing? <laughs> when I asked you, maybe. Hmm? This, is, this is what we're up against. We live our lives on automatic pilot, often unaware of what's going on. So the challenge for us is to wake up this awareness to ask ourselves, what's going on? Oh, hearing's going on, seeing's going on, feeling sensations of the body's going on. I'm glad they put the air conditioner thing in here or the air changer mover because it's more comfortable. Oh, feeling comfort is going on. When did when did you notice that? You know, well it's out there before you came in, it was it was hot and humid. In here it's different. When did you become aware of that? Okay, so this is the challenge we're up against. Our lives are so ordinary. And they are so normal. And most of what occurs to us or happens to us or that we do is so mundane. And it's so familiar. And it's so repetitive. How many times do you have to go to the toilet every day of your life? How many times do you swallow every day of your life? How many steps have you taken every day of your life? It is so repetitive, and so ordinary, and so mundane, we've stopped paying attention to it. We have stopped paying attention to our life. Where do you think it's going to happen? <laughs> you know, Is life going to happen somewhere else at another time, another activity? This is it. So what we'll be pointing to and hoping to instill in you is a curiosity and a fascination and an interest in being awake to each moment of your life and recognizing what is going on. And it's not to try to make something special happen. I've mentioned this before. But it's to recognize what is already happening. There's discomfort in the body going on. There's boredom in the mind going on. There's excitement in the mind going on. There's wondering when he's going to stop talking going on. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things. Life is just happening. Awareness is to recognize that. We say that awareness is remembering to recognize what is going on. Because we forget. Life goes on. We forget all about it until something dramatic happens. You know, we get really excited or really depressed and then we notice, oh, something's going on. There's something going on every moment of our life. Part of our work here is to encourage you to recognize, to remember to recognize that this moment is the only moment of your life. The past is gone. You are never going to experience that again. The future is never going to arrive. All that you have is this moment. That's it. If it isn't here, and you can't find the meaning in your life here, or the value in your life here, now, in this moment, it's not in the past, and it's not in the future. It's going to be here. So we have to be here for it, you know, like like, uh, I think Jack used to say. You know, in one of his talks, you know, it's like being in Las Vegas. You've got to be present to win. You know, to, be, to really win your life, to really get the benefit of your life, you've got to be here. You've got to be present for it. That's what cultivating mindfulness or awareness is all about, remembering to recognize present moment's experience. It's not hard. You know, let me just ask you. Can you feel the sensations in your right hand right now without moving it? Can you feel it? Anybody who can't, raise your left hand. Okay? Okay, so everybody can feel the sensations in their right hand. How much effort did that take? Nothing, right? It took nothing. It took energy of the mind, right? It took the energy of the mind, the interest. The attention, the intention, and then the feeling, just just being willing to feel what's going on there. That's all it took. You didn't have to hunch your shoulders, clench your fists, fur your brow, grit your teeth, and focus. All that just creates more tension in the body, right? Tension in the body gets tight, the mind gets tight, it's like
1: oh.
2: Really, all you got to do is relax. Relax, turn your mind towards, turn your attention towards the right hand, and feel. That's it. How easy is that? That's all you got to do. This whole retreat, next nine days, that's it. (laughs) But of course, you knew there was a but coming. Or and, I should say. The third yogi's job is do that from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep every day. Don't let a single moment go by without recognizing what is going on, what is being felt, what is being experienced. So relax. Relax the body. Relax the mind. Pay attention. Continuously. We have some suggestions. And I think Bryony has mentioned them. You will see them as notices on the boards. Put away your cell phone, please. Put away your iPad, your iPhone, your Twitter, your glitter, your th- whatever, all those things that well, we are addicted to, that we are mindlessly kind of entangled in. Because the more we engage in mindless activity, the harder it is to feel the sensations in our body. The harder it is to recognize the thoughts and feelings in our heart and mind. So to the extent that you can kind of follow the format of the retreat, uh, willingly take on the the kind of the the silence or the, the kind of the putting aside all of the chatter of the mind by writing notes and listening to whatever other messages might be coming in to you through phone or computers or emails or whatever. Just put all that aside. And just see if you can stand to be with yourself. I'm sure you can. We're going to ask you to. If nobody asks you to, you can't. Or you won't. But we're going to ask you to. See if you can bear to be with yourself. Because you will learn so much that is so valuable for you for the rest of your life. We're not here because it's uh, a good gig. We're here because we've done this work. We know it's not easy. We know it's challenging. The task is simple, but it's not easy to do. And there is great benefit to be gained from doing it. This is our job. You know, try to understand things in a skillful way, develop awareness moment by moment of what is going on, and sustain that continuity of awareness from the moment we wake up to the moment you fall asleep. In any activity, no matter what it is you're doing, going to the toilet, Bathing, eating, yogi job, sitting quietly, walking quietly, reading the bulletin board. It doesn't matter what. Just pay attention to what's going on in your body and your mind. We're not asking you, as Kamala's teacher, um, Manindra, said to her when she said, it's so difficult, it's so hard. He said, I'm not asking you to cut down the jungle, which is hard. you know. I'm just asking you pay attention. Now think of the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. Whatever it is. Maybe some of you have cut down jungles, you know, or raised kids or written books or whatever you know. We're not asking you to do that. We're just asking you to pay attention. Moment by moment. It is the work of the mind. It's not about fast. It's not about posture. It's not about any of that. It's about what are you doing with your mind, moment by moment. Are you aware, or are you asleep? It's a choice we have. And so we hope to show you that, the way to make that choice consistently, every moment, to be aware. That's it. That's our job. We do this because through observing carefully, moment by moment, we begin to understand the way things truly are. And when we understand the way things are, we will choose to live in harmony with them rather than struggle against them. And in that willing living in alignment with the way things are, we stop suffering. We stop the frustration, the disappointment, the loneliness, the fear, the anxiety. It stops. What else do you want to do with your life? So as the way to formally begin the silence, uh, and the continuity of the retreat. We like to take the refuges and precepts. And most of you know the refuges and precepts. There's a chant sheet outside that I hope you all picked up. Did anybody not pick up a chant sheet? Okay. And the refuges, of course, are taking refuge in the Buddha, our own innate capacity to awaken, taking refuge in the Dharma, which is the way things are and taking refuge in the Sangha. Here in this context, it's each other, but it's also the lineage of uh, those who've heard and practiced and realized these teachings from the time of the Buddha. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, and Sangha, it is uh, kind of an acknowledgement of our aspiration. May I aspire to realize a refuge in the Buddha? Or I aspire to realize the Dharma or the truth or the way it is as a place of refuge. Or I aspire to uh, find a refuge in the knowledge of the long tradition of men and women over 2,600 years who have undertaken this practice just like I am, just like we are today. From the time of the Buddha, there's been hundreds of thousands millions of men and women daily doing what we're doing confronting the same experiences in the body and the mind as we are and they've persevered and have realized to some degree how to uh, end their suffering and the precepts are the kind of the basic community agreements that we have with one another to live in harmony while we're here to not harm each other or other living beings by killing, by taking what is not offered. And in the context of this retreat, it means using the resources of the center um, as needed but without wasting. Uh, the third precept is to refrain from, in the case of, in the instance of the retreat, to refrain from acting out our sexual energy but to give each other the opportunity to be with themselves, to be by themselves, to really learn about their own body and mind, and we too, to learn about, in this case, the nature of uh, sexual energy in the body, in the mind, in the heart. The fourth precept is to refrain from speaking uh, falsely. Uh, It is so important in this practice of awakening to the truth to be able to speak the truth. So when you have the opportunity to ask questions in the hall or to speak to one of us in a group meeting or individually, to frame what it is you have to say as carefully and as accurately to reflect the truth as you can, Uh, because only then can we offer you the guidance uh, that will be beneficial for you. And the fifth precept is to refrain from the use of Uh, drugs or intoxicants that cloud the mind. Uh, Sometimes, you know, in our life, we take drugs to get high. But once you're doing spiritual practice, if you take drugs, you get low. So uh, just keep that in mind, that the way to really develop the mind is to clear the mind as much as possible. However, if you have prescription medication, this is not the time to stop taking it. Take your medication as prescribed by your doctor. You can develop mindful awareness and understanding with whatever medication you're taking. That's not the problem. Take your medication. So those are the basic five precepts that we all subscribe to or we're going to ask you all to subscribe to in order that we can live in harmony with one another, trusting that we're all here on the same page with the same motivation. Some of you may wish to take the additional three precepts, which is common in Asian countries. And many of you have practiced in the tradition where eight precepts are required on retreats like this. And these precepts are not the non-harming precepts. They're precepts of renunciation, learning how to let go a little bit more. And the sixth precept is to refrain from... Eating solid food after the noontime meal. Now, some people wonder why should I do that. Well, it takes a lot of. Uh, just reflect a little bit on how much energy goes into thinking about planning, to eat, to go through the line, to go through all that bother, to get, to have, to do, to go to the bathroom, to clean your plate, to do, 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 do. for what. So you can feel sleepy at night and not practice so well. And no, sometimes, sometimes it's just a big bother. And you don't really need it. So if you, if you don't need it, then learn how to practice without it. It can give you a few hours of um, sometimes even more energy to practice into the evening. Uh, the, sixth, the seventh precept is to refrain from singing, dancing, adornments, beautifying the body entertainment of one sort or another. Of course, there's not much of that going on here. So singing and dancing, If, you, as long as you avoid your, your iPhone, your earphone, your nose phone, whatever it is, you know, all those things that can give you some sort of entertainment, then you'll be doing pretty good. But you might also consider, you know, because part of it is about not adorning uh, the body, it's just to kind of loosen the grip of the fascination with our attachment to our body. So a way that you, if you wish to to take on this precepts, a way that you can do that is to, for example, not use cosmetics, uh, to only look at yourself in the mirror once per day, for example, uh, to uh, take off jewelry, not wear jewelry or any other kind of adornment like that. It's just a simple way of just You know, letting go of some attachments that we're so used to and so familiar with that we don't even know we have them anymore. So, um, I didn't realize how confronting that this precept could be to people until, at the last retreat, uh, one woman told me after the end of the retreat. She said, "You know, when you said." The sixth precept is to refrain from eating food after lunch. She said, no problem, I I don't need dinner, no problem. But when you said, only look in the mirror once a day, couldn't imagine, couldn't imagine only looking in the mirror once a day. That was really instructive for her to see that about herself. Anyway, the eighth precept is to refrain from the use of high and luxurious seats and beds. If you find one, let me know. (laughs) Uh, but, really, we might look at this precept as a restraint of indulging in comfort, right high and luxurious beds you know we kind of fall asleep when we get that comfortable, we just fall asleep, we stop paying attention. so you might look at how it is that you seek out comfort here, and maybe it's you know taking a longer nap than necessary, maybe it's sitting in the easy chairs and couches upstairs in that room up there, 201 I think it is now. Uh, it might be um, whatever whatever you do. You might find a way to exercise some restraint or to refrain from indulging in comfort, if you wish. And these three precepts, the, the meal precept, the adornments, entertainment precept, and the uh, comfort precept, they're optional. We don't have to take them. We don't, we don't even encourage people necessarily. If you want to, fine. Of course, but for many of us, it's just uh, a little too much to to, to, uh, support our being here. It's fine. No, No judgment. But if you do wish to take them, that's great. Then fine, do that. So just for the benefit of the kitchen, who prepare the evening meals, how many of you know that you'll be taking these additional three precepts? Just so I can get a count. Please hold your hands up so I can get a count quickly. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not encouraging, or, you know, it's just inviting. How many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, maybe. Okay. And you can always check on the board uh, if you decide to do it for some days. I think there will be something put out in the evening for those of you who take those the precepts some juice to drink or something like that. So, tonight... To start the the retreat, I will chant the refuges and precepts in Pali, the language of the Buddha's teachings, and ask you to repeat each phrase or word after me. And uh, each day at the sitting before breakfast, 5:30 to 6:30, I think, something like that. Not sure. Let's see. Yeah, 5.30 to 6.30, we'll also take the refuges and precepts. First couple days, uh, I'll give you the call, and you can give me the response. And then after a few days, when we all know it, we can chant in unison. But for tonight, uh, please repeat after me.
3: Namo. Namo Tassa Bhagavato, Tassa Bhagavato, Arahato, Arahato, Samma Samyutta, Namo Namo Tassa Bhagavato, Tassa Bhagavato, Arahato, Arahato, sama Sama Sambuddhasa Namo, Namo Tassa Bhagavato, Tassa Bhagavato Arahato, Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa, Sama Sambuddhasa Buddhaṁ Saranāṅgacchāmi Buddhaṁ Saranāṅgacchāmi Ta mongs are anonga charmi. Ta mongs are anonga charmi. Sangongs are anonga charmi. Dootyampi, damungs are anunga charmi. Dootyampi, damungs are anunga charmi. Dootyampi, sangangs are anunga charmi. Dootyampi, sangangs are anunga charmi. Tatiampi, Buddang are anunga Tatiampi, budangs are ananga chami. Tatiampi, da mongs are ananga chami. Tatiampi, da mongs are ananga chami. Tatiampi, sangangs are ananga chami. Anati Bhatta Ve Ramani Ve Ramani Sikha Bhadang Sikha Bhadang Samadhyami Samadhyami Adinadana Hadinadana, Ve Ramani Ve Ramani Sikha Bhadang Sikha Bhadang Samadhyami Samadhyami Abrahmacharya, we ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badang, Musavada madiyami, madiyami, Musawada, Musawada, we ramani, sika badang, sika badans, sura, Marya, sura Marya, Maja pamadatana Maja Pamada We Ramani, We Ramani, Sikabadang, Sikabadang, Samadiyami, Madiyami. And for those of you who are taking the additional three precepts, We Kala Bojana. We call a bojana, we ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badang, samadhiyami, gita, nacha gita, wadita, wadita, we malaganda, malaganda, darana, Tara Mandana, Mandana, Uy Busanatana, we Ramani, we Ramani, Sika Badang, Sika, sika Badang, Samadiyami, Samadiyami, Ucha Sayana, Ucha Sayana, Mahasayana, Mahasayana. We ramani, we ramani, 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 sika badang, sika, sika badang, samadiyami, samadiyami, and all of us, idang me silang, lang, idang may see lang, maga palanyana sa, maga sa, pachayo, pachayo,
2: Thank you all for choosing to spend the next nine days this way. It is really something valuable to do for yourself and for all of those other beings that you share your life with. So we can take some rest now. And uh, someone is going to be kind enough to ring the bell to wake us up at uh, 5 o'clock. I want to thank whoever it is for being willing to get up a little bit before us and to wake us all out of our slumber and to kind of call us to practice the Dharma together. So we'll see you back here in the hall in the morning at 5.30. And we can take the refuges and Precepts again and begin our practice together.